Wesleyan Church and just pray that uh, God's blessing will be upon you this morning. We've got an exciting uh, day for you. We've got a lot of exciting activities. You can tell in our bulletin a lot of different things to get involved with and a lot of encouraging events coming up. Uh, we do want to encourage you as well to make sure you're a member of the potluck. 
uh, that's going to be next uh, Sunday, March 30th, uh, Mark Tolan. That'll be his last official Sunday with us uh, on staff as we want to send him out uh, with flying colors. We've got uh, Joel Steindale that's going to be doing a little bit of roast of him, and we're going to roast him pretty good uh, in a good way, in an encouraging way as we send him off. So make sure you bring your best dish. Kind of hang out afterwards. It's going to be in the gym. We'll have a great time of fellowship together and a meal sending him off. Also, if you guys want to uh, do something like a special card for him or give him a special going away gift, the church is doing something special for him as well. So we just want you guys if individually, if you want to do something to honor him and to encourage him as he goes off to fulfill his purpose, uh, we'd uh, encourage you to do that as well. If you're a first-time visitor with us this morning, we encourage you to take your bulletin and fill out this card. Just uh, rip it out, detach it there. It's really easy to do. Just go ahead and fill that and then just drop it off in the back of the church uh, at the end or and give it to, uh, we've actually got uh, Terry here or different people in the back that will uh, be able to have a special gift for you. Just let them know that. Also, uh, you'll notice that here that we uh, we at uh, Cross Wesley on this service, we do not actually pass a plate for our, our tithes and offerings, partly because we believe and we trust that, that each individual who feels committed to serve the ministries of this church will faithfully give. It's not that we don't value giving because we believe that every person uh, is called to cheerfully and wonderfully give to God and his kingdom to support the ministries of the church. But we, if you're a first-time visitor, we want you to know that we want you just to experience Christ this morning. And for all of our regular members and attenders, we've got a, an offering box at the back, uh, back as you go out to the left as you leave the room, and we encourage you to drop your tithes and offerings there in this morning. But as we continue to worship this morning, let us just uh, uh, lift our hearts up to the Lord as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are just so grateful for who you are. And Lord, today I pray that you would do some extraordinary things in us as we seek to understand what it means to be a body of believers. Not a bunch of individuals that simply gather together, but a group collectively coming to serve you and one another in, in your purpose and in your truth. We love you. We praise you. We just ask that you would do mighty things today and that our hearts would be equipped and straightened and strengthened for you. We give you all the glory and all the praise in Christ's name. Amen. Let us stand as we continue to worship this morning. In Sunday school this morning with the youth, we were uh, talking about, well, just go ahead and tell me. Anybody who's in there, what were we talking about? What was the one word I threw out at you? Nobody? You guys are dead. <laughs> zeal, right? We were talking about zeal, which, what did, what did we call that? Was We said we defined it in our own words as crazy go nuts. Crazy go nuts, that's what they said. <laughs> All right, so crazy go nuts. We want you to, to show a little zeal this morning. This song might require... Some participation, some clapping, if you don't mind.
of the earth and hearing the thunderous noise of all the congregations in the world, the entire church lifting up shouts of praise and prayers and singing all at once. I, I just cannot fathom it. It would just be chaos, but at the same time, I'm sure it would be so beautiful. God deserves that praise. If we don't cry out, the rocks are going to cry out, and I want God to hear us, his people, he loves and sent his son for to hear. I want God to hear us over those rocks. He deserves it.
sing this and, uh, and, and pray this with this morning. Tell God that you cannot hide your love.
dancing a little bit, get a little singing a little bit more, a little louder, you can go ahead and see it as we go ahead and say, dismiss our kiddos to their children's time where they have an opportunity to explore God's word on an intimate level based on their own understanding and age level, we're so grateful for that, for Miss Kelsey and all those that are participating, I want to thank the, the worship team this morning, awesome song selection this morning as we continue to look at what God's doing in our lives follow him and to follow him as well as as we I'm going to invite Joe uh, Minuta to come up he's going to share with us briefly as well about some upcoming see which one of these I can get him here just our prayer focus as well on Thursday nights let him give us a little word for there we go wrapped around like a snake don't go too far you'll trip I'm kidding we're going to turn it over to Joe here for a second Every uh, Thursday night at 6.30, we have prayer. Uh, there's prayer here at 7.30 in the morning, um, and also I think 9.30. And um, we also, on Mondays at 7 o'clock, we have, uh, well, we have men's group, but we also pray there. And I just, I would just, uh, I, I wanted to come before you guys just to talk about how important it is for us to have congregational prayer. Um, you know, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, okay, what should I say? And I said, well, let me look in the Bible see what it says about congregational prayer. And quite honestly, there's not really, um, there's no, not a whole lot of, there's only one verse I can really find that says, like, you know, go pray together. And that's that verse in Second uh, Chronicles when Solomon dedicates uh, the temple. And Jesus, you know, when, uh, when, God, uh, when God says, if my people who are called by my name will uh, humble themselves and pray, you know, so on and so forth. That's the only direct verse. But, it, it, like, historically, um, there's many times in the Bible that uh, Congregations and people came together to pray. Uh, like specifically, well, there's uh, the dedication, of course. There's in Ezra um, when they're uh, setting out to uh, go to Jerusalem to build up the walls. There's that they, they prayed then. There's all the verses in Acts uh, before the Pentecost, praying um, when they're electing the next disciple, uh, which is Matthias, and uh, also when uh, Peter was in prison. There's that, and so what it kind of led me to believe is that. 
a linear think is that there's like an assumption when, when God says in his word, pray, he's saying individually, he's also saying corporately because it was done corporately unless there's no command. And if he's saying pray, uh, then we should be praying together as a body and, uh, and individually, of course, too. But I was thinking about the importance of praying uh, corporately. Um, well, I mean, this is his church. Um, and we're his body. Uh, we're the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, don't we need to present as one his church to him? Um, I mean, this is his church, and we want his ways to be done in this church. We want what he wants in this church. So if we want what he wants, we should come together as one and lift up his church to him and say, and, and bring all our, our concerns and requests and praises and adorations to him as one. I like in the, the act, the passage in Acts when they were um, uh, first praying before the Pentecost that says, the way it describes it, it says, the unity of mind. They were, they had, they, when they were praying together, they came together in unity of mind. And uh, if that, that early church had the unity of mind, shouldn't we have a unity of mind too? And how do we get that unity of mind? It seems that maybe prayer is that way. Um, and I don't want to ramble you know, too much I just want to emphasize how important it is for us to come together as a congregation to pray, again, just to lift up his church to him, lift up our concerns to him. And this will unify us, and this will bring his will. And now, not necessarily that his will is, you know, something that we're necessarily, you know, it might not be like a ton of people coming, it might not be all these things we have in our minds, but do we want what we want, or do we want what God wants? And that's the thing. Uh, and what other way to get there except through praying to him as a congregation? So that is what I wanted to uh, talk about. So <laughs> I'll give it back. And we have a lot of opportunities for people to join together and pray. And, you know, it's really what Joe said is so important. We want to have we want God's purpose to be done, right? And it's not necessarily our own ideas, and so we want to call together to, to continue to pray. We invite you to come on Thursday night at, at 7 to join us and to pray, and also to uh, meet on Mondays if you're a, a gentleman and want to come, men's group there. And we've also got early Sunday morning prayer if you like early, early mornings, or if you don't like early mornings like myself, I'm still there at 7.30 in the morning, and we pray for both services and pray for God's will to be done. And this morning we want to pray specifically We've got a lot of our young ladies that are at a retreat right now called Radiant. Uh, a lot of our, our youth group, all of our females are there. A lot of our uh, youth leaders, some of our youth parents are there. Uh, Mark and Aaron are there helping lead that. Mark's behind the scenes. He's not a woman, but his wife's there, so he's helping. He's a, a gopher this, this morning and this whole weekend. And, but we want to pray that God's glory would be manifest on our, our young women today as they're there, as they're worshiping, that God would just speak to them in a unique and mighty way that they would know that they are so important to God, that they have so much value. And I want that for all you ladies as well and for all you men as well as too, but in this conference, I pray that they would understand that God uniquely created them to be radiant, to be glowing, to be extraordinary before God. 
to do extraordinary things for him. So as we go in prayer, I really want to specifically focus on that as well as what God wants to say to us today through his word. But uh, would you join me as we pray that God would make himself known to these women today. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this time that we can come before a holy God. And we just pray that, uh, the Lord, that you'd be with these young women that are at our radiant, this radiant retreat. So many women from around the district, young ladies around the district, and leaders that are there pouring their lives into these young women. And Lord, I pray that they would feel ultimate value right now. Lord, because the world tries to make them into so many different things. But Lord, today, I pray that they would understand completely that they are unique just the way they are. I pray that for all of our ladies here today, that they, are, they would understand that they are unique, that they are special creation of God with an amazing purpose, an amazing purpose to be radiant, to shine to the world the love of Christ that's in them. So, Father, I pray that you would just radiate your love and your passion and your desire and your strength in these young women's lives today. And for all of our ladies here and for all our men, I pray that you would give them a heart that would see these women for who they are, the beautiful God-given gifts that they are. And, Lord, that we would uphold them with high esteem and high value and that we would protect them and encourage them and strengthen them, not only in word but in deed. But, Father, we pray for this time as we come to your, your word, and I pray that you would speak in a mighty way or that you would give us what you need us to hear because, Lord, I really have nothing to offer, but you have everything to give. So, Lord, today we pray that you would speak to us as we learn what it means to follow you more completely, not just as individuals, but as the body of believers called your church. We love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory. In Christ's matchless name we pray these things. Amen. again. We're so glad to have you this morning and pray that, uh, that you would just follow us along this morning. We're going to be in the, the book of Corinthians. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 here in a little bit. We're also going to be walking through a whole lot of other passages as we look to see what it means to be the body of Christ. The last few weeks, we've been walking through various uh, topics about what it means to follow Christ, what it truly means to yield our lives completely to Him and, and to follow Him. And so this morning, as we continue to, to look at this topic, we're going to be looking at the church itself, the topic of the church, the body of Christ. There's all kind of images. There's the bride of Christ. There's the body of Christ. The Greek language itself is known as, the church is known as the ecclesia, the, which ecclesia simply means the gathering, the gathered ones, the called out ones. And so I want to encourage you in that, that, that we really understand what that means. What does it mean to be the church? Because I know a lot of times when we try to describe what the possibility of the church is, we think of a lot of different things, don't we? Think of, when somebody asks you, tell me about your church. What do you say? It's like, oh, well, my church is over at 2390 Union Cross Road. 
It's a red brick building with a really kind of a really sharp peak, you know, peaked roof with a, a steeple on the top, and you don't really see half the rest of the building. You kind of drive and you think, wow, this is a small little church. And you drive in, it's like, oh, there's more back here. And all that kind of stuff, you know, it's like, oh, and, and our church offers like these life groups that you can get connected in. And, and then we've got the, all these like Sunday school classes, and we've got the softball team you can be a part of, and a whole bunch of other little places you can get involved in. And we start describing programs and events and just the building and the facility, but really that's not, that is what the church is, but that's not really what the church is. Because the church is in itself, you and I gathered together. Whether we had this building or not, whether we had any programs or not, whether we had any activities or not, if we gathered together and we were all professing the name of Jesus, we would be in that place wherever we are, the church. We would be the body of of Christ. And when we talk about the church also, sometimes we're like, especially in America, we're very independent, right? Is it safe to say in America we're independent? Like, and I, and I understand independence. I mean, I was born and raised in Texas, probably one of the most independent states in the union. Okay, we're one of the few states that wants to basically leave the union still. We kept our republic status so that we could eventually leave if the government fell apart. It's making more sense now, right? I mean, but you know that kind of thing, but I, I mean, but now I'm in North Carolina, so I'm a North Carolinian, I guess that's how you say it, right? But, you know, but I understand independent nature, wanting to be on your own, independent nature, doing things on your own. We can accomplish this. We don't need anybody else. But it can, can we say that about the church? You see, the question we're going to do with today, is it possible to be a devo devoted disciple of Christ, fully making disciples of Christ, apart from a total commitment to a local body of believers? called the church. And we're going to allow scripture to look at this. And before we do that, though, I want to make sure that we understand that when I talk about being a member of a church, I'm not talking about being a member of the Wesleyan church or the Baptist church or the Methodist, Episcopal, Lutheran, Presbyterian, first assemblies of whatever, brothers, sisters, mothers, uncles, cousins, nephews, first whatever. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the membership in the church of a localized gathered Believers, body believers who profess Christ as their Lord and Savior, who are called together to do more together than they can do on their own. So whether it's a Wesleyan, independent, non it doesn't really matter. What it does matter, are you connected to a local group of body of believers? And is it possible for you to be in Christ fully and be independent? Because we all have heard it said before, it's like, all I need is Jesus, and I hate the church. You ever heard that? It's like the church is worthless, it's ridiculous, I don't need it. But can we really say that? As we look at this message, I'm going to be here to say that we can't really say that and be honest about what God wants us to understand about his church because he created the church, right? Jesus said upon our profession of faith, upon our relationship with him, he would build his church, right? Not us, but he would build his church. And so if he built something, can we hate what he built? Can we say it's not needed? And this morning, we're going to look at those questions and be honest with ourselves and see if we can really be this independent Lone Ranger Christian. Because really, the question boils down to this. Can you be a Lone Ranger Christian and still be in the midst of God's will and his purpose? And we're going to allow Scripture to answer that question for us. So we're going to begin to look at 1 Corinthians and understand what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. It says this, Just as a body... Though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. 
For we were all baptized by one spirit, so to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Okay? In this translation, it uses part, which is basically in the, in the New Testament, the Greek there can be referring also to, you translate it as members. Okay? So you're, some of your translations may say, you know, we, basically we are made up of many members. It's not, we have one member, but of many, okay? many parts. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, <laughs> he would not for that reason stop being part of the body. That sounds pretty disgusting, isn't it? You know, in a sense, it's like you think of that image. It's like if you woke, if you came to the church this morning and you just saw my foot laying up here, would I be a body? Right? No, I would be a part of a body, but I wouldn't be the body. I wouldn't have a body. I wouldn't be a part of the body. In a sense, Paul is telling us here that you can't, you, I don't, I can't say I don't belong to the body. I can't say that. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, or here you could say the members in the body, every one of them just as he wanted them to be. Now notice that. Who places us there? Christ. It's very important. So Christ is putting us in a body, in a membership, in a connection. Every one of them just as he wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members or many parts but one body the eye cannot say to the hand i don't need you and the head cannot say to the feet i don't need you on the contrary those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty while our pre presentable parts need no special treatment but god has put the body together notice this again who did it god has put the body together giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ. This is a present statement. This is not something that you once were, but you now are, meaning you continue in a relationship with a group of believers. And each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? It's implying here, no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. But do all have gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And Paul goes on to say that we should desire love, that we should desire love, faith, hope, charity, all these different things. So what we see Paul teaching specifically is that when we are saved in Christ, that we become part of his body, okay? This is not optional. Notice that it's God put us in a body, okay? So in other words, you may, in the function of the church, you may just be an ear. You may really be a good listener. You can't tell the rest of the church that you don't need their voice, their feet, their hands, or whatever it is. God has placed us there or wants to place us there. This is Christ's doing. It's not our own. We can say we don't, we can't say we don't need it or we don't belong to it. That's why I love what Paul says in verse 13. For we were all baptized by one spirit. In other words, if we're in the body of church, we are baptized believers. We are those who have aligned ourselves with Christ by one spirit so as to form what? One body. 
Hear this? We're forming one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part or one member, but of many members. When we are saved and baptized, Christ teaches us, or Paul teaches us, that we are introduced immediately into a body of believers. And this body is not made up of simply one part. You can't be a part of the body and be on your own. Okay, now that may seem like a little crazy theory, but it's the truth. We cannot be a part of the body and say we can remain separate. We must be connected to some localized body of believers. And they'd be saying, well, Rusty, I think Paul's really talking more about the universal church there. Well, yes, he is. He is talking about the universal church, but can I truly belong just to the universal church without belonging to a localized church of believers? We're going to see why this is important as we go through further teachings. But Paul is saying we cannot in any way say I don't belong to someone in the body, in the nature of his church. We've got to understand that God wants to teach us that we are a part of a body and we need to be a part of a body rather than just a global body. We need to be a part of a localized body that represents the global body. Because in the Greek, in the New Testament, 114 times the word ecclesia is used. That's the Greek word for church, called out ones. Okay, Those who believe in Christ and are committed to his purpose of making disciples. Okay, That's basically what the church is. 114 times that word is used. Only in, in 90 of those 114 times is it referred to as specifically a localized gathering of believers. So yes, Paul is talking about the global church, but also throughout the New Testament, he is talking about the importance of the localized gathered body of believers, and it's important that you are a part of one. Whether that's Methodist, Baptist, Episcopal, Presbyterian, Lutheran, non-denominational, I don't care, but God says, I have created you, I have saved you, not simply to be an independent lone ranger, but I've created you to be a part of a body, locally, where you are, where you can exist for him and his glory so that you can be a part of the called out ones, proclaiming his name, witnessing for his purposes. Also, if the localized church wasn't important, why did Paul write all the New Testament letters to Galatia, to Ephesus, to Colossa, to all these different areas? Why did Jesus himself in, in, give the revelation, in revelation to John to talk about the church at Ephesus, Smyrna, all of these existing places? And he talked about specific problems, both Paul and John talked about specific problems in localized gathering of believers, right? If you read Galatians, they have different problems than the Ephesians, right? The Ephesians have different problems than the Corinthians, right? The Corinthians had to have two books because they were so messed up, right? I mean, it's like that. Sometimes I feel like that. But there's, Paul is writing to a specific group of people, even though, and now you're thinking, the scholars are saying, well, wait a minute, but their whole city was the church. Well, absolutely. But they still gathered in a localized place together with one another in homes. They didn't still, you know, they did not have buildings in the first century. Did you know that? They met together in the temple, in the synagogues, in the homes, and where they were located to be the gathered body of believers. And this practice of committing to one another and living out your faith in a community started from the very beginning in the book of Acts, didn't it? In Acts chapter 2, I want you to listen to this passage. It's starting in verse 42. Now listen, this is very important. The very first word is the most important. They, which implies what? Multiple people, right? It doesn't say, I devoted myself to the apostles' teaching, does it? It says they, meaning it is a implying 
that the believers, because remember when the 3,000 were added the first day after Pentecost, they didn't just all individually say, hey, great, I got Jesus, I'm okay, everybody else can go to hell, I'm going home and waiting for the rapture. Right? No, they instantly had to create structures and resources to pull people together to teach, to edify, to strengthen. Notice, they devoted themselves to the apostles. Who were they? All those who were saved. All those who were saved devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to what? Can you read that word with me? What does it say? Oh, my gosh. They actually were together. To the breaking of bread and to what? Prayer. And then it says, everyone was filled with what? Awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the miracles. And then notice this in 44. It says, all the believers were what? Together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, what does it say? Does that really say every day? Every day they, can, they not individual groupies, right? They gathered together to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. It means they actually did life together. And they ate together with, does that say glad? It means they liked each other. Isn't that amazing? That a group of believers might actually like each other? They glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord, what? Added to their number daily those who were being saved. How is this possible? Because they were the body. They were the body of believers. They were agreed to meet together, to fellowship together, to uphold the teaching of God, to fulfill the purpose of the church through prayer, fellowship, fasting, service, proclaiming the gospel. One purpose, one hope, one Lord, one baptism united together. And because of that, the world saw them as being a light that was favorable. Can we say that today, that the church is seen as favorable? Most of the times we think the church is a bunch of hypocritical, right? But in this day, in the early day, they loved each other so much and they served the world so much that they saw favor and that people were added daily. Hebrews 10, 25. And so let me ask you a question. Can you devote yourself? Can you eat with the global church? Can you fellowship with the global church? Yeah, but not really. Can you really get to know the global church? Can you really hang out with the global church? Can you pray with the global church? Well, of course, with the internet now, I guess you could. But you're still not going to get the intimacy and the relationship that this scripture is telling us about. Yes, we are the universal church, but we're also a localized, gathered body of believers to fulfill the purpose of God's church. That's why Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing this. Instead, let us cheer each other up with words of hope. Let us do it all the more as you see the day coming when Christ returns. So there's a constant urging, hey guys, you need each other. We need each other. We can't, you know, were we giving up the habit of meeting with the global church? No, we're not giving up the habit of meeting with the local church, of gather, uh, gathered believers. The constant urgings in scripture is to meet together as the body, and that is impossible to do in the universal church. We are called to serve one another, to love one another, to equip one another, to strengthen one another, to, and then this is the hard part, also the local church is responsible as discipline. The Word of God teaches us that the importance of the local church is for discipline, which is impossible to do without a relationship. You can't discipline someone without a relationship. So turn with me to Matthew 18 where it says this, Matthew 18 verse 15, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. 
Now, this is a tough command. If you have a problem with a brother and sister, you must go to them first. And if not, when you're talking about it, then it's sin. You need to go to them first. If they listen to you, notice the purpose of this. You have won them over. The purpose of church discipline is not to beat people up. It's to encourage them to turn them away from sin because sin destroys them. And even if they don't want to see that the sin is destroying them, our job is to go to them in love and say, look, this is going to kill you. And if they listen to us, great, because we've won them over, and they can be restored. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Now, does that mean we're supposed to call the global hotline? Does anybody know about that? You know, is there a global universal hotline to complain about people's sin? Have you, do you know it? I mean, I haven't found it. I wish they did. Don't you? I wish there was just a global hotline where we could punch in or type in. Maybe I should create that. Man, I could make millions, right? There's a global hotline for, you know, reporting sin of the believers, right? And, you know, charge them like $1.50 will pay off the debt in no time, right? You know, people love to talk about things, but then they would be sinning because they'd be telling me first and telling them. So maybe we'll have to put in a second step. Never mind. But it's not just to this global section. It's to the localized church. The church has importance for discipline. If you don't have the relationship, you can't discipline. Meaning if they have not committed to be a part of the local body, you don't have authority over them. And if they refuse to submit to that, you must turn them loose, as Paul continues to teach here, or Matthew teaches. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now that is difficult. But the purpose of turning people away from the church in, in the body of Christ is so that they will be repentant and so that they can return to the church and be brought back into favor with God. That's the only purpose for us. And that cannot happen in a global setting. It has to happen in a localized, gathered group of believers. That's why Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 5, 12, 13 about this incident where there's a believer that's basically having a sexual relationship with his mother sounds really gross, doesn't it? But Paul is saying, hey, you need to discipline this guy. You can't let him in continue in this sin. It is going to destroy him, not only him, but it's going to destroy the church. My body is the spotless bride. And we do not need to allow sin to run rampant in it. That's why Paul says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? This is important. You know, we as the church really want to judge those outside the church, don't we? I got a question for you. If they don't believe in Jesus, why do we expect them to do anything else than what they're doing? We get so arrogant, like, oh my gosh, they cuss. Yeah, I expect them to cuss. I expect them to say the Lord's name in vain. I expect them to watch pornography. I expect them to do all these vile things that we have been purified only by the blood of the Lamb. I expect that, but I do not expect that from the body of those who say they have professed their faith in Christ. And that's why we are called to discipline those inside, not those outside. Because God will judge those outside. We are called to not judge in the sense of beating them over the head and saying you're an evil person, but to say, I'm here so that you can be restored, not so that you can continue in sin that will lead to your destruction. And that's why Paul said, what business is it mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. The importance of being connected to the church is seen in this very much so because it's not good to be expelled from it. So Paul is teaching us there in that scripture in 1 Corinthians, it's important, the body is important for localized believers to gather together. Paul is making clear that we are not responsible for the whole world, the whole universal church. I'm glad. Aren't you? 
I mean, it's hard enough <laughs> just in the local church, much less the global church. Can you imagine if we had to police every single Christian's sin? I think that'd be impossible. But we are called to be a gathered group of believers. The Word of God teaches us the importance of being connected to a body, to build in a relationship, to serve with one another, to care for one another, to love one another, so that when we do fall, we can help pick them back up. But then here's the hard part as well. We're also called to be a part of a localized group of believers so that we can submit to the leadership of the church. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13, 17. If you have, if you don't, your Bibles, you can look up on the screen as well. But Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says this. Have confidence in your leadership, in your leaders, and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Now, it's very hard for pastors to teach on this passage because it really can seem pretty arrogant. It can seem haughty and all that kind of... I mean, I, I don't like to teach on this, but Scripture is very clear. There is leaders put in the church for leadership to hold the church accountable to the task and the mission and the purpose. And I, therefore, what does it say? I've got to give an account for every single one of you. That's scary. Trust me, I, don't, I wish that wasn't in there. I really wish that wasn't in there. I really wish... I mean, I, you can ask any pastor. They don't covet the desire to be in leadership. It is not a, a thing like, yeah, I get to be in authority. No, it is the scariest thing in the world because eventually one day I have to stand before God and I have to answer for him on how I led you. And that's scary. But notice this, you are called to have confidence in your leadership and submit to their authority. And then notice as it says, do this so that their, their work, meaning the leader's work, will be what? A joy. Can I say that again? It'll be what? A joy. Not a what? A burden. And then notice this. For that would be of no benefit to who? You. Not to me, but to you. What that's saying is if you cannot submit to the leadership, and, and what's important about our church structure is that you guys voted on your leadership, right? So if you don't like it, I'm sorry, you voted. Some of you didn't vote, so you're saying, I didn't get a chance of that, and I don't like it. Well, that's okay. There's other churches. And it sounds really harsh, but what this passage is saying is that we are called to submit to the leadership and their authority because they watch over us, and those who, and we are called to give an account. Do this so that it will be a joy, not a burden to them, and for that you, because that will be no benefit for you. In other words, we are, can, as a leader, am I responsible for the whole universal church? There's no way I can hold the whole universal church account and or expect them to submit to what I say. Boy, I wish I could try it, though. Don't you, I mean, don't you wish you were in charge of the whole universal church? I changed some things. Just bam, gavel kind of thing. is like, yes, thus saith Rusty. Awesome. Let's just do it the way I want, right? Sometimes I feel that would be a whole lot easier, wouldn't it? It would be a whole lot easier if I could just make a decision and run with it because we get a whole lot more done here. We get things done quickly. That we'd probably, I'd probably run people over, and that wouldn't be servant leadership. God has called us to submit not to the universal church in this way, but to the localized gathered believings because we are a representation of the global church. There's no way that any of us can, in authority of a church can be responsible for the whole body of Christ. But we have been given the mantle of the leadership by that local church to take the authority that's been placed upon us, not by our own calling, but by your calling of us. And that's hard. I did, 
you know, that's nothing a pastor relishes to receive, but it's something that is given. Authority is not something that we take. It is something that is given by the body. The man of leadership was decided by this body, this church, in every other localized church for their leaders to be put in leadership. And we are called as the body to submit to that leadership. And we must be willing to be a member of that body in order to submit to that leadership. Meaning that we're faithful to the discipline that comes with that. Because if you're not submitted to the authority, you won't submit to the discipline, right? And if you're not submitted to the discipline, you won't really care about the authority. And if you don't care about the authority, you probably won't care about the fellowship. And you won't care if you don't care about the fellowship, you really won't care about it at all. God has called us to be a part of a body. And the and trust me, and you have the authority to kick me out at any point you want if I stop preaching the word of God. As soon as I start preaching the word of God, kick me, hook me, get me out of here as quick as possible. But as long as I'm preaching the word of God, we as the body are called to submit to the leadership that has been chosen by that body. We are to follow Christ as members of a localized body, to submit to the leadership of Jesus Christ as I submit to the leadership of Jesus Christ. Because the way the authority works in the church is I submit to the, the chief shepherd among all shepherds, who is Jesus, and then therefore I lead out of his calling, not out of my own calling, my desires, or anything like that. And that cannot happen in the universal church. It must happen in the localized body. And being connected to a local body of believers is essential to our faith. It's essential to our faith and to grow and to be equipped. Remember, Paul proclaims to us that we cannot say that we don't need each other. It'd be like my wife looking at me and saying, Rusty, I love you, but I hate your body. Right? I mean, would I take that as a compliment? Probably not. You know, I mean... You look, look at your spouse right now. If you told your wife, it's like, honey, I love you, but I hate your body, you're going home in a body bag, right? I mean, they're not going to take that as a compliment. And so where in the world do we get off saying, Jesus, I love you, but I hate your body? I hate your bride. That'd be like me walking up to my friend and saying, hey, Scott, I really like you, but I can't stand that Kelsey chick. I mean, he's going he's gonna to throw down. I don't blame him. He's going to be protecting his wife. What do you think Jesus is going to do if we say we hate his body and his body is you? So when you say you hate the church, you're saying you hate those that are called by his name. And the scripture is very clear that we are called to love one another. Amen, church? And so the localized, gathered body of believers is very important. We need each other. In fact, there are 38 commands in Scripture of loving one another or serving one another or equipping one another that we cannot do separate on our own. We can't be a lone ranger Christian and make disciples or be a disciple. We need each other. As hard as that's to say, because we want to be independent. We don't want to say we need anything, but the truth is, we need Jesus, and we need each other. We need his body. We are called to be his bride, his body, his glorious representation to the world. We are called to one another. There are so many teachings in the scriptures that it's impossible for us to fulfill by ourselves. So the local church is this, a local body of baptized believers joined together under biblical leadership to grow in the likeness of Christ and to express the love of Christ to each other and to the world around them. It's not a building. It's not a program. 
It's not a small group. It is a local body of baptized believers joined together under biblical leadership to grow in the likeness of Christ and express the love of Christ to each other and to the world around them. Not our preferences, not our wishes, not our desires, not our hopes, but God's hopes, God's wishes, God's desires, God's values, God's purpose. And we come together to be united in unison together as a body to complete his mission and his call on our lives that we are impossible, that we are impossible doing by ourselves. Do you realize that we can do a thousand times more with each other than we can individually? You get that? I can do a lot of things, but I can't even begin to scratch the surface of what I can do if every single one of us link arms, united by the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, and we come together and say, you know what, I'm willing to surrender my life to Christ. And as I surrender my life to Christ, I'm willing to surrender to be a part of this body and to its leadership and to follow its mission and its purpose that's been given by God. And we're going to reach the goal that Christ has set before us. And I could care less if I accomplish anything for my own merit or for my own desires. And the only name that I want to be exalted is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Do we get that, church? We are called to be a part of a body for that for no other reason, we put aside all of our petty differences, all our petty preferences, and we understand that we unite together in one purpose, one hope, one love, one baptism, one Lord of all. And then we can say proudly that we are the body of Christ. And we love everyone despite our flaws, despite our failures, despite our indiscretions. We love each other to the point that we're willing to walk through the desert with them, through the valleys. And we are going to proclaim Jesus above all things. And you know how we do that? John 13, 34, 35, Jesus says, a new command I give you. What is it? Love one another. How? As I have loved you. So you must love one another. And notice this. By this, everyone will know that you are my what? My disciples. If you love one another. Discipleship is impossible on our own because discipleship is manifested in love for one another. You can't be a disciple by yourself unless you're loving someone else because the benefit of being transformed by God is not for your own self. It's for the benefit of others to come to understand the love of God and the assurance and the hope that comes in that. So to follow Jesus means you are connected to a body of believers, united together to fulfill the mission that God has given you to make disciples of all people. So it's up to you. Are you going to be committed to Jesus? You've also got to be committed to his body. There's not a both and to be a disciple. So why join a church? Because God has made you to be a part of his church. From the moment you profess your faith in him, you are knitted into the body and you can't say you don't belong. We all have got to find our place. And we join a church because of love, because it's critical to our growth in the image of God and because you will not be able to make disciples and be made a disciple without the collected body. You can learn everything you want on your own. You can become a religious scholar par excellence, but you will not be a disciple until you live out the call to love one another and be connected to a body of believers. 
and the reverse is that as well. And, and there is a place for everybody. And my challenge for you today is to ask you this one simple question. Are you committed to the body of Christ? Are you willing to submit yourself to the body, to this body of believers? Because we are a local church called Christ Wesleyan. And if you're able to submit to that vision and that mission which we have, and our mission is to love God with all our heart, our soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors ourselves, as we learn to imitate Christ, and as we learn to imitate Christ, we know that we're called to lead others to transformed lives. That's the mission that God has given us. And in a nutshell, that's the mission that God has given the whole church. Because basically it's the great commandment and the great commission. Put in little three words that every child in the universe can understand. Love, learn, and lead. That is our call. That is our mission as this local body of believers. Are you called to this body of believers? Are you willing to submit yourself to this body of believers? Be submissive to its leadership, accountability, discipline, and work together to carry out its mission given by God. If you are, then we want you to know you are welcome. And we want you to find a place. If you cannot submit and you feel like, man, this just isn't my place and this just isn't where I fit, then you know what? The, same, the reverse is true. There is a place somewhere that is for you. My job is not to build Christ Wesley, and my job is to build the church, not to build the church, but to build the kingdom, to spread the kingdom. Our job is not to fight each other about direction and vision and direction. That has been established by the church. And multiple churches have different directions in how they carry it out, but we are called to get connected to one of those somewhere, somehow, and to be united and fulfill our purpose through that. So if you can't say that, then let me know, and I'll be glad to help you find a place that you can do that. Because remember what it said in Hebrews 13, 17, it is of no benefit to you to fight the authority of Christ's church. It's no benefit. We are called to be one. One in purpose, hope, and love. And so I challenge us all to be united so that we can say that we are one, that we are called by our Father who is in heaven through the blood of the Lamb to join together for His glory and His purpose only so that His name will be renowned, so that His kingdom will come, that His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we truly are overwhelmed by the fact that You have called us to not simply be a bunch of individual tacticians and individual relationships, but you've called us to work hard at being the body, and Lord, we have not been perfect at that. So we confess before you that, Lord, that sometimes we fail. But the reason we fail is because we're human. There is no perfect church. And if we try to go find that perfect church, we are going to mess it up because we're not perfect. And so, Father, I pray that you would equip us and strengthen us to help us to know if this is the place that you have called us, that you have equipped us, that you're telling us to live out your purpose and your will, it may not be easy. It's always hard to do things together because we have to lay aside our opinions, our desires, our wishes for the purpose of the greater good, which is proclaiming your name. And the amazing thing is, Lord, as we look at your scripture, we see that as we unite like that, that the world will awaken to the reality of your son because the scripture says that they will know us by our love for one another so this morning i pray that we would commit to be unified together as the body of believers 
of baptized believers locally grounded here in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, United States of America, to be connected one another for the purpose to fulfill your great commandment and your great commission so that your name would be renowned, so that your kingdom would come. Father, unite us, Lord, that your will would be done, Lord, not ours. Unite us as the body, that we may be one as you are one. In Christ's name, amen. Let us stand as we close this, this morning with the song. The song we sang at the beginning, I want you to sing it with us this time. Um, we may or may not have the words up on the screen, but uh, some of the words are simple. Um, it's called The Earth You Soars. It's a, it's a triumphant uh, cry out to God about how he, uh, he is our Lord. He's over everything. Your voice, it thunders. The oak starts twisting. The forest sounds with cedars breaking.
truth, but know that he is holy, and the earth is his, and that you are his. Go in his name, the body of Christ.